All right, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19, and we're going to start down verse number 28. John chapter 19, verse number 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a spong with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and, and put it into his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first, of the which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he saw it bear record, and his record is true, that ye knoweth that he saith truth, that it might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him should not be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierce. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to look into your word once again. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged a great deal to know that indeed it is finished. Great words, wonderful words, and the truth contained within just those three words. Lord, I pray you encourage us to understand how important they are and to have accepted you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray you bless this service now, this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people are really good with words. They just, they have a grasp of the language and, and they're eloquent with their speech. They just say it and they say the right thing at the right time. And you are sitting there wishing, I wish I had said that. Uh, maybe I, or maybe you, I wish I could say it that way or collect my thoughts in that way and, and to communicate that way. I mean, we probably all met people like that. Jesus is the greatest example of a person like that. All through the three years of his earthly ministry, uh, people kept coming to him because he had the ability to say things in a manner that people had never heard said before. Just a quick, brief glimpse into the Gospels proved this beyond a shadow of a doubt. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says the people were astonished by his doctrine because he taught them with power and authority. In Luke 4, 22, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which were proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Remember, Joseph was a carpenter, not known for speech, right? He was a worker, and, you know, with his hands, not a, not a talker. And they were amazed. The people who were around him were amazed. Even his enemies were shocked, astounded at the word that it proceeded from his mouth. John seven forty six says, the officers answered, never spake, man spake like this man. They, they were taken away. They didn't know how to react. And as we've gone through the book of John and other gospels in our church on Sunday mornings, uh, we have seen the men trying to use their words against Christ, and Christ destroyed them uh, with the right words, with the right things to say. And, and he said so many astonishing things. Let me just read you a few. Before Abraham was, I am, John 8, 58. 
I and my Father are one, John 10.30. 10, 10, 10, he that saith, as hath seen me hath seen the Father, John 14.9. I will come again and receive you unto myself, John 14.1-3. Verily, verily, I say to he, you, he that believeth of me, have everlasting life, John 6.47. I mean, every single one of those and so many more are gold mines of truth. And they're necessary for us to understand who Jesus Christ really is. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus gives himself up to be the ransom for the world. And his simple statement says, it is finished. It is finished. Now, for the liberal individual, the cynic, the unbeliever, uh, this cry of Jesus from the cross sounds like a cry of defeat. They say this is the word of a man who lost everything. However, that is a galaxy away from the truth. The English phrase here, it is finished, is used in all kinds of ways, very expressive, filled with meaning. Let me just give you some. You know, a servant would say when the task was completed, it's finished. A priest would have said in that time period, when the sacrificial animal was brought and then was sacrificed, it is finished. An artist would use the same words when he did his final touches upon his masterpiece. It is finished. Used when uh, the deal had been struck between merchants and the haggling was ended and the parties were satisfied. It is finished. It's done. That's probably a term that we would use more. It's done. It's a done deal. Therefore, it's plain to see that these words are not a cry of defeated man. Instead, this is... This is a statement from a victor. This is a a decoration. This is one who just won a great victory. And we need to understand these things, uh, these words a little bit. And what did they mean? What did it accomplish? Well, first of all, it accomplished the pain of redemption was finished. Christ's death on the cross was absolutely torture. It was unbearable. You and I, we have a hard time to imagine the pain that Jesus was forced to endure for our sakes and for the sakes of all men. Now let me just remind you of a few things. I'll read you some verses here just to bring to mind the price that was paid. He was scourged, Matthew 27, 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And in Luke chapter 22, verses 63 and 64, it talks about being beaten. Jesus was beaten. The scourging alone had killed many a man. It was horrific. Uh, Men just died from the scourging and the beating, let alone a crucifixion. They spat upon him, Matthew 27, 30, and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Uh, Part of the beating, but that spinning, that's so humiliating to the extreme. I know there's laws in our land today. If you spit upon a police officer, you're arrested. There's a charge, and rightfully so. It's a humiliating thing. Mocked, again, in Matthew 27. Nailed to the cross. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. The process of being crucified and then the slow and horrible death is truly agonizing. Again, very hard for us to understand because we've never been through it and we don't want to be through it. But it's torture. It's horrible. He was stripped naked. Again, humiliating. His beard was plucked from him. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off uh, the hair and hid up my face from shame and spitting. Now, these truths, and they are, 
Don't even begin to scratch the surface of Jesus suffering for you and for me in Isaiah 52. His visage was so marred more than any man that is formed from more than the sons of men. His was a bitter cup, and he drank it willingly so that we might be saved. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 42. Not only was there pain uh, when the Savior endured, you know, in, in its death and beating, was the shame. Was the shame. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of it. Think of it. The Son of God was stripped naked before the world and nailed to the cross. Just stop and think about that for a moment. The Son of God. And he endured the most shameful death that anyone could know. Galatians 3.13, Jesus hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You know, the fact that he was crucified became a uh, a reason that Jews refuse to believe on Christ, 1 Corinthians one twenty three. But we, but we preach Christ crucified unto Jews a stumbling block and unto Greeks foolishness. There was severe pain and shame. Probably the greatest agony Jesus suffered was the judgment that came from his Father. Matthew 27.46 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Jesus was on the cross, he literally became the sins of all the world. He took all the sin upon the world, upon him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that he may be made the righteousness of God in him. The Father was, not, uh, was unable to tolerate the sin in, the, in his presence and just judge the Lord Jesus Christ as if he was a sinner. He wasn't, but he took the sin upon himself. And that was the greatest agony that Jesus was forced to endure while on the cross for the first time in eternity. Think that in eternity, there was a gulf between him and the Father. Why did Jesus do that? Why did the Lamb of God willingly offer up his life for our sins as an atonement? There's two really profound reasons. One, because he loves us. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. He looked down from heaven and loved us. That's why. That's part of the reason. Because he loved, loved us. Because, number two, because he wanted to prove his love for us. Romans 5, 8. But God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The reason Jesus Christ died for us is because he loved us. Loves us. He loves us. The plan of redemption was finished. It was done. When Jesus reached the end of his ministry on the cross, his work was finished. It was completed, perfectly completed. The work that was planned from the beginning of time. Revelation 3.8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names were not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. From the beginning of time, God has always planned to send His Son to die for sinners. That was His plan. That's what He promised Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. 
it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was the Lord. It, that was the beginning of the promise. The, the Lord Almighty knew what was going to take place. This was portrayed in the offerings and sacrifices at the temple, the tabernacle. Everything God did pointed to the day when Jesus would come and lay down his life on the cross. Since the dawn of time, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God killed an animal to cover their nakedness. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 2. Death and suffering, bloodshed, are always a part of mankind's coming to the Lord. We see it in Genesis chapter 4. Abel brought a lamb to the offering, to be offered. We find in Genesis chapter 8, when Noah offered a sacrifice after the flood. We see it in Exodus chapter 12, when the children of Israel killed a Passover lamb on the eve of the Exodus. We see it in the Day of Atonement, when the lambs were killed to make atonement for the people. We see it in the blood that was shed for the hundreds and hundreds of years that would run like a vast river today if it was all collected uh, and allowed to flow together. However, all this bloodshed, all this death and suffering saved no one. According to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, And every priest standeth daily ministering, offering oft times the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. All the blood and death did one thing. It merely rolled the sins of one offering and, and sacrifice to, to a head, to another period. It withheld the judgment of God because the person offering sacrifice did so in acknowledging that a more complete sacrifice was coming one day. That wasn't sufficient enough, but it was a way of doing it. The Old Testament's believers were saved by faith, just like you and me are today. They were people of faith, uh, just like every one of us who accepted Jesus Christ. We've done it by faith. They were saved by looking forward to the promised Messiah who died for sins. Hey, we're saved because we look back. They were looking forward. We look back. We saw Jesus Christ has died. And he's provided salvation. And we believe in him by faith. A Messiah who died for our sins. While the Old Testament sacrifice did nothing to remove the sin of the people, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross did, did everything. It dealt with the sin issue forever. We would never have to worry about it. Let me read you a few verses in Hebrews chapter 10. And verse number ten, by the which will we, uh, by the, the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This incredible plan of redemption was formulated in the ivory palaces, a, a place that we can't even really describe how beautiful and wonderful the palaces of glory before this world was formed. It was perfect, it was complete, and it's forever finished. What the Lamb of God did upon the cross. Now, everything God requires to make a man righteous and uh, take away their sins is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's just one means of salvation. We hear there's all kinds, and uh, you can do this to make it to heaven. You can do this to do this, and you know there's all kinds of pathways. No, there's only one. It's through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, uh, 1 verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, 
And there's a lot of people today trying to get their way to heaven by silver and gold, by giving. And there's nothing wrong with giving. And generous hearts are wonderful hearts, but a giving heart is not going to get you to heaven. You need Jesus Christ. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, there's lots of vain traditions in our world. That those things are not going to redeem us, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The payment of redemption was finished. It says right there, verse number 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Now, it was done. It was finished. Two parties, you know, between God Almighty and Jesus Christ, it's finished. It was satisfied. It meant that God the Father in heaven was satisfied with what Jesus Christ had done on the cross. God accepted his son's death to shed blood as a perfect, Payment for our sins. Isaiah 53, 11. He shall see of the travail of the soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servants justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And that's what Christ did. This is why the Bible tells us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Romans three twenty five, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed to the forbearance of God. And that word propitiation is mentioned in 1 John 2.2 2 and 1 John 4.10. Now, you have probably never used that term ever in your life in talking to somebody. I know I haven't. It's only a word that I ever used in preaching. The word propitiation means, carries the idea of appeasing. It really refers to the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, a place where the blood was applied on the Day of Atonement. Literally, Jesus is that. It satisfies and appeases God. It's enough. It's finished. That's good news for people like you and me. After all, uh, we could never be good enough to get to God. We can't do it. The Bible cl clearly tells us that there's a gulf. You know, uh, it's insurmountable. We can try our best. We can train whatever the case, but we can't do it on our own. Now, I I've not been to the Grand Canyon. I hope I get there someday, but... Apparently, it's pretty big from one edge to the other. You can train for your whole life. You're not going to jump over that valley, that, that gorge. No, it's not possible. Hey, we could train our whole life trying to jump from this life to the next into heaven. We're never going to make it. The Bible says that the best we are is filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6, But we are as all unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and uh, we all do fade as a leaf. Our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. The Bible goes even further to remind us in Romans 3.12, they're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. No one is. At best, at best, we're sinners. That's it. That's our case. That's our situation. But Jesus Christ has satisfied the Father. So if I'm in Him, then the Father accepts Christ, appeasing, atoning death for me. So what does that mean for you? That means you don't have to work for your salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Even if we try, we can never please the Lord. Because we're never more than sinners. Because we're born sinners. However, through what Jesus Christ has done, we have ability, by accepting Him as Savior, 
to be found in him, and thus we're accepted by God. And we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. You'll never gain salvation through your works. That is a message that has been preached from the beginning of time. We can do it on our own. It really is placed in the seed of pride. Uh, and no doubt it's propagated by the enemy who wants us to believe we can do it ourselves. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. And it means that our salvation comes to us on a pure basis of simple faith. Now, I'm not in your living room right now, in the sense of physically there, but I'm sure some of you came down to your living room and flopped on your couch. You just believed, you had faith, your couch would keep you up and you wouldn't break or anything of that nature. and You wouldn't fall on the floor. You believe by faith. Hey, that's, what, that's the faith that we need to have and so much more greater than in a couch, but in Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thy house is simply placing your faith in him. That's it. In him. And him alone. It's not Jesus plus a bunch of other gods. It's him alone. Those other gods, these other idols, they didn't do anything to purchase your salvation. Your redemption is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, my friends, because of what Jesus has done, it's truly finished. God asks no more from you and for me than that we base our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can accept that truth that he died on the cross and that he rose again the third day and shed his blood uh, and washed away our sins. And if you do that, you're saved. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's finished. That's the greatest thing that Jesus ever said. It's finished. You and I can enjoy salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ without fear of having to work for it and trying to maintain it. We can enjoy fellowship with the Lord knowing that He accepts us. We're part of the family. The question is, as I finish, do you know Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about in a manger. Hey, we're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas Day. I'm not talking about some stories you've read about uh, miracles he's done, maybe the feeding of 5,000 or whatever the case. Now, do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? If you were to die right now, are you 100% sure that you'd spend eternity with him? Are you trusting him? And him alone. Have you put your full faith and trust in Him and Him alone? You need to make sure. We look around our world and we see fear, we see despair, we see uncertainty, uh, we see so many things that trouble our hearts. Jesus can help. Jesus cares. He loves us. He brings that peace. He brings that peace of mind. He gives us the strength to face each day. And I would invite you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the greatest decision you ever make. In the eyes of God, it is finished what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Salvation is available. 
Have you accepted it? Have you accepted it? This would be a great time, believer, to stop and pause and to remember yet once again how great a salvation that we have accepted and how that should spur us to serve Him. It indeed is finished. Praise His name and testify of His greatness to us. Dear Jesus, thank you for providing a perfect salvation. Without a doubt, as individual believers, we can take it for granted. And Lord, help us this morning to have a heart that is grateful for a perfect salvation. And Lord, I pray for any who might be watching that have not made that choice for you. Lord, help them understand that they are lost without you, headed to a crisis eternity, but you are there with arms wide open, desiring that they would come to you. Or make them, help them make that decision for you. Help them accept you as Lord and Savior, not by works, not by silver or gold or vain traditions, but by simple matter of faith and trust in you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it indeed is finished. Encourage our hearts now, I pray. Jesus' name. Amen.